0: Well, most of y'all know I grew up in the state of Alabama, and there was a, a part of growing up in the state of Alabama and going to public schools in the state of Alabama uh, that meant one particular thing: we all had to take Alabama history, and we all had to learn to sing "Alabama, Alabama, we will a be true to thee," and I learned you know what state bird, state flag, state everything, right? And and there are aspects of it because I was being tested on it that I just didn't truly appreciate. One of the thing I didn't appreciate until later in my life uh, was some of the stories of Alabama history, particularly uh, one that I took for granted, a, a, an Alabama story of a young lady from Tuscumbia. Tuscumbia, Alabama, she was born in 1880. At age two, uh, illness took from her her sight and her hearing. Of course, I'm talking about Helen Keller. Uh, at age two, uh, or just short of age two, she had already learned to say a few words, as young toddlers would, but but soon she forgot all of that and really plunged into a world of silence and darkness, Uh, the family was in great desperation. One thing I didn't know was that they actually uh, enlisted the advice of Alexander Graham Bell in the whole process uh, to to find some way of reaching into the life of this young lady. Alexander Graham Bell referred them to the Perkins Institute for the Blind, and there with the Perkins Institute, they had Ann Sullivan. If any of you have ever seen The Miracle Worker, uh, the, the, the movie or the play, Uh, The story of of Ann Sullivan, a young lady working with the seven-year-old, trying to penetrate the darkness, trying to break through the silence. But the darkness never broke, did it, for Helen Keller? The silence was never pierced. But what this faithful teacher did, this teacher was able to, to navigate a path through it to talk to her and to teach Keller to talk with the world around her. But she lived her whole life blind I remember going to, to Washington you know she became nationally recognized and remembered um, as a, I mean a, a woman of great accomplishment in, in spite of living a life of silence and darkness and in one monument you know when you go through the uh, the city of Washington they have the velvet ropes around all the monuments of importance they have they have setbacks and lights and do not touch signs all over the place so that the millions of guests that come to Washington won't destroy the the, the, the monuments and the plaques and everything there, with, with one exception. And there's a, a plaque, uh, a plaque remembering Helen Keller. And you're actually encouraged to touch it. For the bottom of it is the inscription written in braille uh, that countless millions have come and run their fingers along, uh, remembering the life of, of this, this uh, woman who was used in, in mighty ways in spite of silence and darkness. She was asked one day, and it was a rather insensitive question. She was asked, isn't it terrible to be blind? Isn't it terrible to be blind? She listened. Well, it was communicated to her. She thought about it, and she responded in this way. She said, it's better to be blind than to see with the heart. Excuse me, it is better to be blind and to see with the heart than to have two good eyes and to see nothing. I'm sorry. I just stomped all over that. I've been able to see and hear my whole life and couldn't say it as well as she did. Better to be blind and to see with the heart than to have two good eyes and to see nothing. Her eyes were never opened physically. We have a story here before us. This is a, it's a very common story. It's a story that we've all heard of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus. And I pray that our familiarity with it, once again, is not going to make us go on autopilot and just sit back and and not pay any attention to really what's happening here. But to think about the darkness that was uh, plaguing Bartimaeus as he was there on the road there uh, just outside of Jericho. And his encounter, his momentary encounter with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, as he passed by. Let's read this text. Mark chapter 10, I'm picking up in verse 46. This, this is God's Word. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this, this text before us. Father, thank You for the real event of human history that has been explained and taught to us through these simple verses. Thank You for the richness of theology that we find here as we come to understand our Savior better. Thank You for the faithful words of Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they have penned this account. Father, remembering and presenting before us these moments from the life of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would leave this place changed by our encounter with your word, as your spirit writes it on our very heart, emblazons it on our mind, and changes our steps. As you speak to us this morning, we pray, Lord, in spite of the man who preaches, I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts and lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We sang that that hymn before the the offertory. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. If you ask people to sing a religious song, they would no doubt run to amazing grace. Um, it's just become that, that song, born out of a great understanding of the spiritual blindness of a man who was given eyes to see, his wickedness and God's righteousness, his wretched ways and God's glorious path. Think about John Newton as he wrote that. He had lived his life as not only a slave trader, but the captain of a slave ship. The one in charge of transporting human beings from one continent to another for the purpose of enslaving them. Many would die, and he had considered that to be an acceptable loss. A man who truly knew what it meant to say the words, it is amazing grace. And to pause and to say, how sweet, that very sound. It's an amazing grace. It would save a wretch. Not a word we use anymore. A wretch. Like me, it's more than a poetic word in a song. It's his understanding of saying, I am wretched. I am refuse. I am worthless. Apart from this grace. This amazing grace. Because I can look back on a part of my life, he would have us sing, a part of my life in which I was blind. I literally could not see my sin. I could not see my sinfulness. I could not see my wretchedness. I could not see the death that was my inheritance until you opened my eyes. I was blind, Lord Jesus. But now I see. Amen. That's the song that we sing. And again, it's familiar. And we sing it and we go on about our business. That's one thing. I'm not a, a big fan of tinkering with good old hymns. But uh, it was a, a wonderful addition, I think, that was made that my chains are gone. I've been set free. Uh, this wonderful liberation that we find in the Lord Jesus. This was actually penned for a movie that came out several years ago. Uh, this, this revision, this additional chorus uh, on the life of William Wilberforce, a member of parliament in Great Britain who was used to abolish the slave trade uh, there in Great Britain. I encourage you to watch it if you've not seen it. But we sing this, this hymn. Now imagine with me... Just a moment, the, not the spiritual blindness, but the physical blindness of, of Bartimaeus there, sitting on the roadside just outside of Jericho. And the testimony that we see as Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about this has been the subject of great debate and discussion because when any three people tell a story, there's going to be different perspectives that are brought to that. If we were to talk about who we spoke to in worship today, I could say, well, Curtis Noble was at church today. And Carol could be talking to somebody and said, well, Joan Clark was at worship today. And so folks would, you know, if they were looking to, to prove that Carol and Brandon were both liars, they would say, Well, Carol says Joan was at worship, and Brandon says that Curtis was at worship. Uh, obviously, they're lying. Because they've said different things. Well, you you do understand. You you see it in such so simple a way that both can be true. Both can be true. I did not say that Curtis was the only one at worship. Carol did not say Joan was that one person sitting in the pew uh, while Brandon was preaching. It was a bit of a, a slow Sunday. <laughs> but as you look at the testimonies of Matthew, Mark, and Luke about this account, uh, one would bring in that there were additional blind people around, uh, at least a second blind person. Uh, and there's also a discussion about where this actually took place. Uh talking about one would say uh, on the way to Jericho and one would say just outside the other side of Jericho. Was it in his coming or his going that this took place? Simple answers, simple and straightforward. One is, first off, it is no discrepancy if, if I were to say that Joan was at worship or Curtis was at worship. These don't disqualify each other to say there was one blind man and that's what Mark brings out. This blind man doesn't say there's only one, but he brings out the story of Bartimaeus. And the other issue about whether or not they were coming or going into Jericho, what's very interesting about that is you look physically at the geography of what happens right there in Jericho. You get back to the Old Testament uh, city of Jericho. It actually had fallen into desolation and ruins. And the old city uh, basically had sat there and and come to just really great um, uh, disuse. And just outside that, a little ways down the road, uh, under the Herodian dynasty of the day, they had built a new city of Jericho. So you actually would go into Jericho, leave Jericho, and go back into Jericho. Uh, you go from the old city to the new. And all indications is what happened here is on this road, it was the time of Passover. Many were passing through this region to go up to Jerusalem for the Passover and was the opportune time for Bartimaeus to be sitting there alongside the road, crying out, just like we would see people in high traffic areas saying, Can you help me? I need money. And Bartimaeus would cry out, a man living in darkness, a man living uh, in really an inability uh, to interact with the world around him. And he would cry out for mercy from those who would pass by. The Passover was an occasion where tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people would be making their way to Jerusalem. Some would conjecture that in that day, Jerusalem would triple in size at the Passover. So think about that traffic. And many travelers going to Jerusalem, being generous in this time of Passover, passing by there would see this blind man have pity and would give him money. Many in their traveling would have the resources to do so. And this was how he was going to survive. This is how he was going to make it a while longer. He was going to cry out, people were going to give him money. But then he heard something. He heard that Jesus was in town. We don't know how much Bartimaeus knew about Jesus. He obviously knew a little bit. He don't know what he had heard. That he had heard about, there was that other man, that man who, who couldn't see and well, I don't know that Bartimaeus would have been excited about this, but remember the the previous man that Jesus healed healed his eyes. He actually he spat and made mud out of the dirt and rubbed that spittle and mud in the man's eyes, and he could see again. And I think Bartimaeus was even willing to have somebody spit in his eyes in order to see again. Don't know what all he knew, but there's indication that that, that he knew that this was a promise, that this was hope. So I want you to see a couple of things about the request of Bartimaeus to Jesus. A couple of things for us to take note of and not just appreciate it historically, but implement it today. Just pause with me for a second and look at what happens here. Jesus is coming through town. And I want you to see first that Bartimaeus makes his request in utter helplessness. He comes to Jesus really without hope. He's blind and he shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. He, he's sitting there. He, his, it's just like his eyes are closed. He's hearing the chaotic noise of footsteps and people hurrying about. He's hearing animals bleeding and making noise. He's hearing the traffic going back and forth, hundreds and thousands of people passing by. And all of a sudden he hears that Jesus is nearby. So he begins calling out. He doesn't know if Jesus is in front of him yet or not. He just starts crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Just crying and crying and crying. And he's shouting loud. He knows that Jesus is out there somewhere, and he's calling in desperation. He says, Jesus, I need help. Son of David. Now, what does this mean when he's crying out this idea of Son of David? It would have meant different things in different settings, but but Bartimaeus, what he is saying is, is that he is understanding Jesus to be the fulfillment of the promise. The, the stories that he's heard from the Old Testament, the prophecies regarding the Messiah. I don't know, we don't know how much of the Old Testament Bartimaeus knew. We don't know much about his background. But these people who would be coming to the temple, they would have been talking about it. They would have been talking about not only the promises of, of God, they were returning to the temple, the temple of King David and Solomon we see this this temple. They would come return to the city of David for worship, and Bartimaeus would have heard these things, and then they would have heard it mixed in the context of this teacher now in the region, this healer, this rabbi, and and he's talking about that he's he's the one that's been promised. He's the one they said would come. He's the one who would deliver the people. He's the one that Isaiah 35 speaks about and says he'll be the one to open blind eyes and allow deaf ears to hear. This this is the promised one. This is the son of David. And Bartimaeus is sitting there on the roadside helpless, just crying out. We pause for just a moment in that. And we need to understand the blessing of helplessness. We need to consider the blessing of reaching the end of yourself. When you say, I have nothing left. And really, when you put it in perspective and you have the the privilege of hindsight and history and healing to to help you to understand, the the blessing of helplessness And, and what a glorious thing it is to reach the end of yourself and to say, praise God, for it's there that He meets us. For up until that point, we have such a tendency to say, I got this guy. I do it myself. We laugh in our house. It's Thomas's mantra, he's not here to rebuke me on Sunday for quoting him, though he may listen online. I do it myself. It's a source of pride for a young man, young girl, they're growing up, when they can start doing things. Tie my shoes, I tie my shoes myself. We never seem to outgrow that. We think, I can do this myself. And so often the Lord lets us do it ourselves. He lets us fail in ourselves. He lets us reach the end of our ropes in ourselves. He lets us reach that point where we are utterly desperate and helpless. And we need to, in hindsight, look back and say, praise God that He let me get to that point. For it's there that we cry out, have mercy on me, Lord God. Have mercy, I need you. For I can't do it. I want you to see that Bartimaeus comes to Jesus helpless, empty-handed, saying, have mercy. What else do we see here? Not only a, the helplessness of His request, but we see the persistence of His request. Imagine, we just see this moment that Jesus is passing by, but as I said, as soon as He heard that Jesus was in the area, no doubt He would have been starting to cry out. Is He here? Son of David, are you, are you here? Can you hear me? Have mercy on me. Shouting this way and that, and continuing to call, continuing to call, and not just enduring... The many times until Jesus gets there, but we we see right there in verse 48, it says, many rebuked him, said, be quiet, Bartimaeus. Be quiet. Now is not the time for you to be begging. There's an important person coming by. This Jesus doesn't need to be bothered with your panhandling. Just be quiet, Bartimaeus. But What does it say? He cried out all the more. Not simply that he continued, but it seemed to amplify that the rebuke seemed to inspire him to cry out all the more, that I'm going to call out. I am going to call out. I'm going to continue to call upon Jesus no matter when the world would say, he's not going to answer you. He doesn't have time for you. As he passes by, he's got far more important things than your worthless request. And so we pause in the midst of that persistence and we say, we need to cry out all the more when the world would tell us, to cease your calling upon Jesus. When others would say, you just need to handle that yourself. You just need to buck up. You just need to be strong, be brave, persevere. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's a silly thing to go to the Lord for. But in all things, we, we need to go to the Lord. We need to cry out to Him constantly, ceaselessly, persistently. We need to cry out to Him for mercy, for without His mercy, we die. Even after Jesus comes to him, you see what Jesus does there. Jesus comes up to him. Obviously, this is a man who is in need. This is a man who is in need of healing. And Jesus comes up to him and asks him a question. There's a bit of a delay, Jesus coming to Bartimaeus. He asks him a question. We'll get to the question in a second. But he, he pauses and says, so what do you want me to do for you, Bartimaeus? And even with that delay, and he presses Bartimaeus just a bit, Bartimaeus responds. He continues to persist. He says, Jesus, I want to see. Rabbi, I want my sight. Help me to see, recover to see again. Help me to know the light of day and the glory of creation around me. Jesus, I want to see your face. So he's helpless. He's a helpless man there alongside the road, blind, crying out. People were telling him to hush, and he keeps crying out all the more. But then we see there's a clarification in his request, a clarity to what he's asking, an understanding of what his true need is. His request is on point. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I love that question, that idea, what is it that you want? And we so often ask for the wrong things. It would have been very easy for Bartimaeus that day to say, well, I'm obviously in need of money. I'm begging alongside the road. You've got your disciples. That fellow Judas, I understand, he carries around the money bags. Break open the money bags and, 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 and give me some, some money. Jesus, this is, my, this is my busy season. With everybody passing through for the Passover, I, I, I need to really, really get a lot of funds coming in now in order to endure. He could have very easily said, Jesus, I need money. It was not money, though. That was not his need. He was crying out for mercy, and Jesus asked him, he says, what do you mean by mercy? Define mercy for me. Well, what Bartimaeus does is he asks for deliverance from the greatest of his oppression. Bartimaeus says, I want to see. It's not that I want to be able to navigate the darkness that we talked about, Ann Sullivan and, and Helen Keller. I don't want to simply be able to function well in spite of this. I want to be freed from the oppression. I want to be cured of of my sin-sick disease. I want to be released from this malady. I want deliverance. Jesus, I want to see. We, We look at a passage like this, by the way, and it can't escape us, the context of what's going on. You remember last week? Remember James and John? Good old James and John, the sons of thunder. Sons of Zebedee, boisterous fellas, come up to Jesus, ask a favor, right? Unqualified, they want a favor. Jesus, just go ahead and say yes, and then we'll tell you what it is. If Jesus had come to them with a question of, of 48, remember right there, verse 48? If he had come up to James and John, I'm sorry, not 48, uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 51, They'd come up, if Jesus had come up to James and John and said, What do you want me to do for you? James and John had already answered, didn't they? Well, Jesus, we want you to place us at your right and your left hand. We want to be in authority as you are in authority. James and John at this moment had to be just dumbfounded as Jesus turns to this helpless, dirty beggar and says, what do you want me to do for you? Giving him that blank check right off the bat. What is it that you want? And he goes to the greatest of his needs. Jesus, I need to see. James and John, I have to imagine, were rebuked in that moment, even as they had been with Jesus, to see the beggar give the right answer, while theirs was so selfish and trivial. So the request there is... It's clear, the request comes at a moment of uh, a life of great helplessness, and it comes at the end of great persistence, but we also see there is a, a timeliness, a timeliness to the request. And this is, this is vital for us to consider this idea that Jesus was not going to return to Jericho ever again. Jesus would not be going this way again. He was on the last lap. He was on His final path. He had His face set like flint and was heading to Jerusalem and would not pass this way again. And this man, Bartimaeus, cries out for Jesus. Jesus is right there in front of him. The crowds had gotten louder. They were obviously talking about it. Within a stone's throw, even closer, this miracle worker from Galilee was right there. He can hear his voice as he's talking with people. People are telling him to be quiet, but all the more he cries out, for he knows that the moment of deliverance is now. And there's an incredible moment of timeliness to what takes place here and a timeliness that we dare not ignore. For Jesus was right there and the moment that Bartimaeus could be delivered was right then. Ask yourself how many times have you or those whom you loved wrestled with the things of God? The issues of your soul And put it off. For tomorrow is another day. Bartimaeus was living in the reality that tomorrow was not another day. Jesus was there. And we are all faced with the timeliness and the necessity of evaluating how timely it is to cry out to Jesus now. That if it has not been where you have cried out in helplessness to the Lord God of the universe If you have not done that and said, Lord, I want to see you. Then today is the day for you do not know if if tomorrow that opportunity will exist. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Our life is but a vapor. Bartimaeus cries out in a timely way. He's right there. And here's what's a wonderful thing that we see. We hear the cry of a desperate man. And that cry of a desperate man brings Jesus to a stop. People are astonished. They said, get up, get up. He's calling to you. They were astonished at this, that this pitiful, dirty beggar just outside the gates of Jericho, right there in this intervening path between the ruins and the the, the new city of Jericho, there as people were passing by to get where they were going, Ignored, overlooked, this poor, wretched creature. He cries out, and the Lord of glory, the Son of God, comes to a stop, and he stands still before this man and says, what do you need? Let me ask you, if Jesus were to ask you today, right now, the Lord Jesus were to walk through that door and to engage each one of you individually and ask you, what is it that you want me to do for you? What would that answer be? What would it be? Well, now, at the end of the sermon, pastor, I better give the right answer. You know, I mean, yeah, I've been paying attention, right? But ask yourself, seriously, what, what, what would your question be, your, your response be? Uh, I sure would like a little, little more income, better paying job. I sure would like my relationship with my neighbor down the street to be a bit better. I sure would like to be more important. I sure would like to have more power. I should like to have more comfort, more ease in my life. I'd like to have the conflicts reduced. Christians, non-Christians alike, our request should be the request of Bartimaeus, but in spiritual terms, in real terms, in eternal terms, that the non-Christian would, would, should ask if the Lord Jesus says, what is it that you want from me? Lord, I want to see you. I want to see You. I want to know You. I want to be known of You. I want to hear one day that well-done, good and faithful servant. I want to know that in my helplessness, that You have given me everything I need for life and godliness and for eternal glory. Lord, I want to see You. And Christian, you have prayed that before. You've prayed a variation of that saying, Lord, I, I, I do receive You in faith. I want to follow You. I want you Your righteousness to be mine I want God to look upon my sinfulness, but see your glory and your righteousness. I thank you for paying for my sins, and you are my Lord and my Savior. We, we pray these things, and we seek to live them out, but our prayer ought to be the same when the Lord Jesus meets us in worship and says, what do you want me to do for you? Our response should still be the same, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you more and more. I want to open my eyes and know that the Lord Jesus is right there with me. I want to see Him in my walk. I want to see Him in my attitude. I want to see Him in my life around me. I want others to see Jesus through me. I I want Jesus to be evident and clear and visible to me spiritually until that day when we see Him in glory. This picture of Bartimaeus is an amazing moment. But at our own peril, we, we approach it not in helplessness. In peril, we come to it thinking, wow, must be horrible to be helpless. In peril, we come and we give up. To our peril, we don't ask for what we really need. And to our own demise, we don't realize how timely the moment is. Friends, if you have never cried out to the Lord Jesus in mercy, do not let this day pass by without doing so. To cry out and to talk to, to me to a, a, a brother or sister sitting with you, one of our elders, to approach them and saying, I, I have never done this. I have, I have never come to Jesus and said, Lord, I, I want to know you. I want to see you. I, I haven't known you. But as you pass by, I don't want you to leave. Or Christian, if you have and have been walking with him even for dozens of years, let today be the day that you cry out anew to the Lord, Father. Lord Jesus, I want to see you in a real and a new way today tomorrow, and each day. For I praise you that as I cry out, the Lord of creation stops and hears me, embraces me, loves me, and delivers me. Amen? Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word. And I pray, Lord, that it would not simply be a few moments in a text that we listen to, that we appreciate, and that we leave unchanged. Father, change us as we see our Savior pausing to care for Bartimaeus, that we would know him pausing to care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.